This is the Field of Streams Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Fangraphs. Hello and welcome to the Field of Streams Podcast for Monday, May 2nd. I'm your host, Dylan Higgins, joined by my co-host, Matthew Dewaskin. Matt, how you doing? Dylan, I'm hanging in there. Yeah? How'd your weekend go? Complain. It was really rainy in this area, so we... Yeah? Do we get to talk about your meteorologist call from last week? <laughs> about the Cubs game? I think it certainly I'm... played. That's okay. I think I'm going to retire from, from any weather predictions. Yeah, from being our show meteorologist. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I think it did not seem like the Cubs would play, and they played. And then they didn't play in Colorado. But, yeah. yeah. As, they spent this whole weekend not playing. So, yeah. Today, I think. Yeah. As I said then, um, it's hard because we often record in advance. Like, we're actually recording on Sunday today for Monday's show. Mm. And so we can't really predict the weather that far out. So it's very important to keep an eye out for that stuff for DFS, but the format and how we record just doesn't really uh, doesn't really work out that way. So um, we also have a guest on the show today, not with us live, but later we we recorded an interview with uh, Ben Lindbergh of Five Thirty Eight and the Effectively Wild podcast at Baseball Prospectus. He came to talk about his book, which is really exciting. Uh, him and Sam Miller wrote a book about when they took over an independent baseball team. And kind of like, it's really fun to do fantasy baseball and, and be able to control and make your own team. They did that, like, times a million. They actually got to go apply all these sabermetric principles to an actual breathing, running baseball team. And they wrote a book about it. It sounds really cool. I'm excited about it. My copy's coming in the mail. But uh, we tacked that interview on at the end. So if you want to listen to that, uh, we, we talked to him for 15, 20 minutes. It was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, so, good um, Interesting experiment. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to read it. I'm a fan of theirs in general, but I think the book's going to be pretty cool. So, um, yeah, Matt, you got anything else before we get into these games? Uh, do you want to mention my vacation? Sure. Yeah, you're going to be gone. You're leaving us. Yeah, I'm going for. I think I'll be off the podcast for at least four days. Yeah, that's in a few weeks. Not this so, week or next week. Not if, after that. If any listeners have any, I'm going to be going to Montreal on a driving trip yeah. with with the wife and the puppy. If anyone has, like, a suggestion, like, you know, where to hang out in Montreal. Yeah. Where the best poutine is. Yes. Have you been to Montreal before? No, never. I've never been that far east before. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I haven't I haven't been to Montreal either, but that sounds fun. So, if, well, if right. any listeners have suggestions, I'd love to hear them, so. Yes. Where Matt should go in Montreal, or what he should do. That yeah. sounds cool. Right on. Um, yeah, and uh, we're not sure yet. Uh, we'll, I'll still be doing podcasts all week. Not sure who I'll have with me. I'm sure Brad will show up a little bit during the week and, I don't know, get, get some substitutes. I'll, I'll try in vain to replace you for a few days. I think you'll be We'll see what we can do. So we're going to look at DFS picks for Monday, the 2nd. It's all evening games, but there's only 10 of them. So it's two-thirds of a full slate, which is still plenty of options. Not Not a ton, but plenty. Uh, enough to to fill out uh, some stacks and some slates. So, Matt, we start at catcher. What are you thinking at catcher for Monday? Okay. I'm starting with Wilson Ramos versus Edinson Volquez. Okay. Uh, what do you like about Wilson Ramos? He's actually he's hitting really really well against righties, and well, uh-huh. Volquez he's got a really goofy home road. He's been fantastic in Kansas City, and you know mediocre away from Kansas City uh-huh. in the first month of the season. Yeah. Um, but he he does he does have a bit of a split against right against righties so far. Yeah. So yeah. I I don't love the matchup for him because it's in Kansas City, but it's you know Wilson Ramos has had success against righties. Volquez is right-handed and he hasn't had a lot of success against righties, so I think the the two kind of match well. Yeah, and Ramos has been good this year. You're not kidding. And, you know, hitting over 300 and has a couple home runs. And, I don't know, that's a player I used to really like. And he's just kind of trended the wrong way for a while. But he's still only 28, you know? Like, it would not shock me if he all of a sudden kind of got it together, you know? And they say catchers can develop late. And, I don't know, I... He's not, like, a mixed league guy right now. But it would not shock me if he, like, became one again, you know? I used to like Wilson Ramos a lot, so... I like that. I'm fine with picking on uh, on Edison Volquez for sure. Who else you got? I've done Yeti Merlino versus uh, Jeremy Hellickson. Sure, I'm fine with picking on Hellboy. Yeah, he's he's been like equally bad against lefties and righties. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter with him. 
Yeah, and yeah, you'll be fine if you think the Cardinals are going to score runs there. I, and yeah, I think he's they been do. Competent this year. Yeah, he you know been trending the wrong way as well, but I think there's still plenty of talent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Anybody else? Earth on Cameron Rupp versus Adam Wainwright. You do love Cameron Rupp. Okay, I'm fine with it. Uh, Actually, is Wainwright? I'm sorry. I have a couple Phillies guys. Is Wainwright now somebody we're picking against? I think he might be. He hasn't looked yeah. good. It's seven one six ERA, one seven zero WHIP. Uh, but more importantly, like he's kind of corralled his walks, his last three starts, only one each, I suppose. But it's not really racking up the strikeouts either. Uh, I count fourteen strikeouts to eleven walks. Mm-hmm. So something's not right. I, I want to see him get it together, but I think, yeah, if there's Phillies you like, including Cameron Rupp, I'm, I'm down with that, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, what do you think about picking uh, Giants guys against Brandon Vinnigan, starting with uh, Buster Posey, righty on lefty? I think you have to uh, pick Mortal Trevor Brown before you pick Buster Posey. That's true. If he's in the lineup, uh, I like it, for sure. Uh, I, he can definitely hit. You, you know, you got to check and see who's going to play for them, but if he's playing for him. I'm fine with that. He's been good so far. Very limited playing time, but seems like he can hit in the major leagues. So, yeah, I don't mind that as a as a sneaky option either. You know, he also bats right. Be righty on lefty. And as we always say about the Reds, you know, even if you kind of like Brandon Finnegan, you get the Reds bullpen also. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a good thing. I like that. Um, I have Francisco Cervelli getting Jason Hamill. I like Cervelli against righties. Even though Hamill does okay against righties, but if you want to uh, pick a pirate stack at all, I think that's fine. I know Brad really likes Francisco Cervelli, and I'm fine with it. He's kind of a high floor, lowish ceiling guy, but he'll be okay. Um, you like Jonathan Lucroy getting Jared Weaver? That's righty on righty, but I think that's fine for Lucroy, right? I'd, I'd rather have Brewers lefties than Brewers righties in that matchup. Yeah, uh, I I'm I agree, but I think Lucroy will be fine. I'm just not scared of Jared Weaver at all. Um, I have Steven Vogt getting Nate Carnes, even though I like Nate Carnes, but think a left-hander like like Vogt is who you want to use there. So uh, if you want to pick on Nate Carnes, I'm, I'm fine with that. He doesn't really have a platoon split, so I'm not sure where the advantage is. I, I think, well, for Vogt, Vogt really likes to hit righties, you know. Um, okay. So I, I don't know. I As much as I like Nate Carnes, his whip has been high. And his ERA is okay. I, it's not my favorite pick. I, I'm just, if you want to go with the A's, I'm, I think that's perfectly fine. I think Boat is a guy that you can trust. He's coming off a really good outing last time out, but had struggled before that. Um, first start of the year, he faced Oakland, and he allowed four runs in five innings. So it was kind of a tough start, though, and his control numbers look good then. So I don't know. My favorite pick is Buster Posey uh, of the day, which isn't, you know, that much of a touted pick in terms of it being the best catcher, but Yachty he has a good matchup, favorite. for sure. Um, any other catchers for you before we move on? Uh, it runs it down pretty well. Yeah, all right. How about a first base? I have six names. How'd you do? I had five. Well, yeah. it depends. Do we, are we cutting Matt Adams and Brandon Moss as the same person? Uh, Kind of, but I think it's Brandon Moss is who you want. But, yeah, that's, uh, what I, that's what I, the one I wrote down, but... I kind you of want Brandon Moss, um, maybe Matt Adams, but they get Hellboy, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, for sure. And again, the Phillies bullpen. So uh, it's in St. Louis instead of Philadelphia, but you're fine with that, obviously, right? Uh-huh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also had the opposite side of that. If you really want to pick on Adam Wainwright, I still have at least some fantasy faith in uh, in Ryan Howard. You know, I don't think he's a good real life player, but he can run into one. He gets his home runs. He gets his RBIs. So, Dylan, it's a Castro of a pick. What's? I don't. He's not nearly that bad. I thought, right again. Uh, you're not looking at OPS. You're looking at just the counting stats. Just what Ryan Howard's always done. Will he hit home runs for you? And he has five already this year. He has a 684 OPS, which is ugly, but he has five homers. Like. He could run into one, It's especially if Wainwright's struggling. Um, and I don't think many people are going to have that, but it's not going to blow me away if he goes deep there. So 
Um, I have John Jaso getting Jason Hamill. There's the lefty and righty. The split's in favor for, for both of them. Uh, in terms of it's bad for Hamill and good for Jaso. He's not your typical first baseman, not a ton of power, but uh, they bat him up near the top of the lineup, sometimes lead off, and he can score some runs and get on base. So not usually what you're looking for from first base, but I think he'd be just fine there. Basically, um, you're looking for a guy who won't give you a zero yeah. than Jaso. Yeah, kind of like Cervelli. If you're, I, yeah, if you're in a smaller format, like you're playing fifty-fifty or something, and you just need some points, uh, pirate stack like Cervelli and Jaso might be a little bit of a thing. Um, if you want to go bigger, uh, GPP, try and get points nobody else has, might be Ryan Howard. Um, I also have uh, Edwin Encarnacion getting AJ Griffin. It's righty on righty, which is good for him. AJ Griffin's been good lately. And I don't buy it. I, I'm not in. I don't... I'd like him to be good, you know, but he's allowed, yeah, uh, four runs over his last three starts. His last time out uh, against the Yankees, eight innings, one run. But I don't buy that, you know. I, I'm... He could be okay, but he's going to Toronto, and that's going to be a bad time for him. And I think Edwin, among many others, is going to be able to hit him. So are you fine with that? Are you worried about A.J. Griffin at all? No, I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the Blue Jays will do just fine. On the flip side of that, uh, facing R.A. Dickey, you can pick, as you like to put it, the entire state of Texas, uh, including Prince Fielder or Mitch Moreland. I like uh, Moreland pick... better than Dickey in, in this case, honestly. You like Moreland better than uh, Fielder? I apologize. Moreland better than Fielder. Thank you for yeah. correcting me so immediately. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was like, you like him more than R.A. Dickey. That's why you're picking him, right? Yes, <laughs> that that too. Both are, you yeah. know what? I take it back. You didn't correct me. I was accurate the first time. Standing by it. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll do fine. I mean, it's Ari Dickey, so it's kind of a giant question mark. But, yeah. Um, I also, I really like any left-handed Mets getting Matt Whistler. So, yep. Matt Whistler's been pretty okay this year. Yeah. But uh, better than I thought he would be. Not great. 4-2-6 ERA, but he was so bad last year. Uh, but if you look at the splits, he's killing fellow righties, but that split against lefties is still totally there. Uh, it's like a 400-something OPS to righties and like an 800-something to lefties. Like, it's bad. So that weakness is still exploitable. That means Lucas Duda of the Mets could have a just-fine day against Matt Whistler. I'm all in on lefties. I'm sure I'll be getting to to more Mets later. But pick on Matt Whistler with your lefties. Uh, I I endorse uh, Lucas Duda. Uh, Who else do you have at first base? Did you mention Brandon Belt versus Finnegan? I did not. That's lefty on lefty, but I'm not that worried about it, are you? No, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, Brandon Bell has handled lefties very well this year. I think his OPS is over 1,000 against left-handed pitching and a small sample size, to be fair. But yeah. Even still, it's, you know, you, yeah. you, you wouldn't be picking if it was trending the other way. And believe it or not, Brandon Finnegan, uh, he struggles more with same-sided hitters than he does opposite-sided hitters. Okay. Showing so, weird splits so far. Yeah, he's he and not only so far, it's been like every year of his career, like clockwork kind of. He's he's had a, a higher OPS against lefties than he has against righties, which is odd. Hmm. Well, yeah, could be a good day for Brandon Belt then for sure. And again, I keep harping on it. I don't think Brandon Belt's going seven eight innings. So when he's out, you got Reds bullpen time. And Sorry, who's those bats go What's that? Who's going to go seven or eight innings? I don't think uh, Finnegan is. Oh, okay. what did I say? I might have said something else. Yeah, yeah I don't think Finnegan. Brandon Finn- Belt. So I, I well. Then again, if he gets lifted for a pinch a pinch runner late in the game, I could see it not yeah. lasting seven or eight innings. Now I'm switching names on you. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm in for Brandon Belt. I didn't have that written down, but I like it. Okay. Um, anybody else for you? No, let's move on. Uh, okay, second base. I got four guys. Me too. Uh, okay, let's see if we match up here. I got Rugnet Odor getting Ari Diggy. Okay, we don't match it. That's okay. That's one. Oh man, missed on Odor. That's the lefty going to Toronto. I think he'll be fine there. Um, if you want to pick Texas guys, I, I still trust him. I have red hot Neil Walker getting Matt Whistler. Okay, because that was, yeah, of the same mind there. Back on. He's a he's a switch hitter, uh, which means he will get to exploit that platoon advantage. I'm I'm in there. If you went Daniel Murphy against against Edison Volquez be just fine. Uh, he's just keeps hitting, and once and when he cools down, we can stop worrying about him. But he keeps hitting. I have Colton Wong getting Jeremy Ellickson, uh, the Cardinals uh, lefty on righty for him. He what? was sick, he's but he's been back in the lineup. This year. 
he was ill, he was sick, but he's back in the lineup. I I think he'll be fine. And mostly I'm playing well. I'm I'm picking on uh I'm picking on Helix in there for the most part in that bullpen. So um those are my four. Uh I love Odor and I love Neil Walker if you can afford it. But there are options. What are you thinking at second base? Uh Joe Panic for the same reason as Brandon Belt. Yeah, the lefty on lefty in a good way. Yeah, but believe it or not, yeah, Panic actually he's been confident against lefties this year. I think his OPS is like over eight hundred against okay. it's a small sample size, but even still he, that's where you, you don't want to see it turning the other way. It's not bad, yeah. I've got Robbie Cano versus Kendall Graveman. Okay, sure. Your boy, Kendall Graveman. Whatever. Yeah, and he hasn't been great. I worked on Brian Dozier versus Dallas Keuchel. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, I looked at that, and I'm like, the Twins have some lefty mashers, but I didn't know if I believed in any of them enough to take against Keuchel. But I think Dozier would be about the one that I might, yeah. Keuchel, he hasn't, he's not been that great against right-handed bats. Yeah, no, and I've talked about this before, that if I think that a lineup's going to score runs, but I don't know who, like, if you have, like, a bad righty going to Detroit, and I'm like, are they going to score, but I don't know who it's going to be, I kind of like the leadoff guy. And if, you know, Dozier's at the top, like, I, I like the bonus from that. You know, thinking the Twins can score against Keiko, but I don't know from where. Hopefully the leadoff guy's involved. Does that make sense? Yes. That, oh. and I just like his platoon splits, so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm in on Dozier. That's a good one. Very cool. Um, anybody else for you? No, that's it. Okay. Third base, I had four names. How many you got? Six. Okay. Uh, I have Matt Duffy getting Finn again. He's okay. right-handed, but yeah. should be just fine, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're talking about... Um, the best pick is probably Matt Carpenter getting Jeremy Hellickson, if you can afford it. Uh, I think he will be... Yeah, that's a good pick. He's going to be just fine there. Um, on the flip side, Michael Franco getting Wainwright. Franco, yeah, it's not a platoon advantage, but if you think that something's wrong with Wainwright, and there very much might be, I think Franco could hit him pretty well. So that's probably the best hitter on the Phillies already. And mm-hmm. and there you go. And then I have Kyle Seeger getting Kendall Graveman, because why not? You know, uh, okay. Kyle Seeger is looking just fine. He was struggling before, but I think he's... A lot of the peripherals said he would be fine, and so far he is, so... Uh, yeah, and I'm not worried about Kendall Graveman. So, um, those are my four. Who do you have that I didn't have at third base? Okay. I wrote on Adrian Beltre versus Ari Dickey. Okay. It's a, it, it, I don't, when it comes to a knuckleballer, I'm honestly throwing up platoon splits because I don't think it matters. Mm, no, not nearly as much. No. I, yeah. And you, did, did you look up their history, which we like to do? I, 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 you know, I, both, you know, Beltre's 37 and Dickey's 41s, and I imagine they'd face each other quite a bit. Yeah, but I didn't know if no, you would check. Why, is there, like, something, like, ridiculous I'm missing? No, I just, so we always talk about how we don't like uh, batter versus pitcher statistics, except in rare cases for weird things, like a knuckleball, and we might find out that, like, one player can hit it or can't hit it. So, um, in their career, they've had 16 plate appearances against each other. Uh, Adrian Beltre... Has one home run, mm. uh, his only RBI, but he's hitting 333, 375, 533. So a 908 OPS. Just fine. It's clear that I don't, that doesn't sing like ringing endorsement for me, but it's like, oh yeah, Adrian Beltre can handle the knuckleball. Cause some guys just can't, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm totally fine with that matchup for sure. Uh, again, we're not usually about batter versus pitcher matchups, but. Uh, it's a green light to go with Beltre if you'd like to, and, and I'm fine with that. Um, who else you got? Everton Luis Valbuena versus is it Jose Barrios. Yes, Jose Barrios. Good. I was afraid uh, it was Juan, and I was going to get crossed up. No, it's Jose. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's he's a Twins pitcher that can strike people out. His debut went not great, but okay. I'm interested in him for sure. Not but kind of great, but not great against a very specific type of hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Lefty. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still waiting on that first Valbuena home run. Are you serious? Yeah, he's been bad. He's one of those guys we're kind of on homer watch. Um, yeah, through Saturday, I'm looking at baseball reference, uh, 540 OPS with no homers, four RBIs. Our boy Luis Valbuena needs to get it together. So, so 290 he's... OBP and a 250 slugging. So, he, so he's a member of a club that Homer Simpson can't join? Uh, yes. There you go. No he is homers. in the No Homer Club. Yeah. 
Uh, did you know I noticed uh, Pedro Alvarez hit his first one on Saturday? I saw. So he, Thank you. He barely got one in on the in April, but Luis Valbuena did not hit a homer in April. Uh, I like Luis Valbuena, but I just got to get together. He's thirty, so I don't know. Could could get it together against uh, Barrios. I don't know. Uh, any other third baseman for you? Yeah, two. Erto Norner, okay. Arnado versus James Shields, ready and ready, which is where you not want Arenado, although he's not in Colorado. So Yeah, they're going from Colorado to San Diego. Are you worried about, like, the aggressive Coors hangover at all? No. No? Okay. Some people are. Some people worry about it more than others. I'm, I at least notice it. When it's a guy like Arenado, I don't really care, you know? But, yeah. Okay. And then who else you got? Most of the is Mike Moustakas versus Geo, but I don't, again, if I either rank it, like power rank it, it'd be number six, definitely on my list. Yeah, just a guy to, just a guy. If if you fill out the rest of your lineup and you only have third base left and he's exactly what fits your pricing. <laughs> then, my, okay. my, my concern with, with Moustakas, first off, Geo has been fantastic against both sides of the plate this year, but it, it is in Kansas City and Kansas City is just weird. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I like Geo. I don't know. I, I definitely... I try to look for lefty mashers in the Royals lineup to pick on him. And their big right-handed bat is Lorenzo Cain. And Lorenzo Cain's been really bad. I think he's talented and he'll be fine, but I want to see something, you know. He has, uh, through Saturday, a 589 OPS. I'm like, oh boy. So, uh, I don't know. Um, okay, let's move on to shortstop. I had three names. Me too. And I know I'm... I know I missed one you had. Did you go ahead and go with Brandon Crawford, picking lefties against Finnegan? Did not, because Brandon Crawford's terrible against lefties. He hasn't always been. He's definitely had years where he's been fine. He's got like a 400 OPS against lefties. In his career or this year? This year. I didn't I didn't check the career. Oh, no. I, I remember he has had some weird years. So, in his career, 705 against righties, 678 against lefties. Uh, okay. That's a, a small split. I think he'll be fine. He's been bad this year. It's not a slam dunk. It's not definitely where I want to go. But if you believe in Finnegan struggling against lefties, I think Crawford would, would be okay. Um, okay. I have your boy, Azdrubal Carrera, against Matt Whistler. I got that. This is not a ringing endorsement for Azdrubal Carrera as much as that Matt Whistler platoon split is so bad. And Azdrubal's a switch hitter, so he can take advantage of that. So that, that's all. Any Met that can hit left-handed against Whistler, I'm in. Um, and so his dribble will be fine. I have another switch hitter, my boy Jonathan VR, getting Jared Weaver. It's a platoon advantage there. And that's, again, I'm just picking against Jared Weaver. He throws so slow. And for VR, they're batting him second. So if you think the Brewers are going to score runs against Jared Weaver and the Angels bullpen, which they can, I, uh, I VR could be a part of that, especially if he's running. I like I like where they have him. I'm still on the VR train. Um, and then my last one is Aledmus Diaz against Jeremy Hellickson because he doesn't stop hitting. He's just still awesome. So pick Aledmus Diaz uh, against Philly, getting that that bullpen. Um, yeah, who who'd you have that I didn't have? Eduardo Escobar versus Dallas Keuchel. You do love Eduardo. That's fine though. Yeah. He's a switch hitter and platoon advantage. Yeah, there you go. Of. If you yeah. Uh, he's like, a lot of these shortstops are just really boring, but you need somebody that's kind of competent and that's perfect. You know, <laughs> same, same with his dribble. So I'm fine with, with Eduardo Escobar. Nobody's going to have him. No. You know? and it's going to be deep and he's not going to cost anything and he could definitely get involved in the scoring. Doesn't have a home run or a steal yet, but it's not really what you're looking for from him. You're just hoping for him to get involved in the action. Time. Yeah. He's waiting to attack. He hit 12 last year. He did. So, no, he was impressive last year. He was. Yeah. So uh, he can run into one. So, all right. Um, any other short stops for you? That's it. It's a pretty shallow one. I think just go with his dribble. Just hope for the Mets yeah. to blow up the Braves, which they totally could, and he I, could be a part of that. I'd reckon his dribble and Weaver are definitely my top, my two favorites for tomorrow. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, in the outfield, what are you thinking in the outfield? All right. Erwin uh, Gregory Polanco versus Jason Hamill. Okay. Lefty on right. If you're going to attack Jason Hamill, it's going to be with with lefty. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next up, we, we kind of forgot about Michael Saunders. Yeah, I wrote him down for this day, for sure. But, yeah. Didn't he used to be good? He never was consistently good, but he kept, like, 
showing promise. Even okay. you know, with the Mariners, like, look, he's gonna be good, and then he'd like be he hurt, got, like, you know, horribly, hor- horrifically injured, and now he's back, yeah. really good again. His career OPS is under seven hundred, so he definitely never really put it together. But like, Didn't there's some power and speed there, huh? He went, 20, he went like 1919 or 2020, something like that. In 2012, I'm looking at it, he went 1921. 19 homers, yeah. 21 steals. Like, he was a tantalizing fantasy player. His OPS then was still only 738, but I think he has a bit of a fantasy driven uh, reputation, which is still good. Uh, this year, he's hitting well, though. He's hitting over 300 OPS way up there, and they're batting him leadoff. That all sounds great. And yeah, I had him on my list taking advantage of AJ Griffin, right? Yeah. I, I, I kind of yeah. like this for him a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, I, no more Mazzara versus R.A. Dickey. Yes. Yes, yes. Is there any way he doesn't have, like, two or three hits against R.A. Dickey? Assuming sure. R.A. lasts, I, like, you know, long enough to give up two or three hits to him. Yeah, I don't... He hits the ball hard, that's for sure. I don't know. I don't I don't bank on anything against R.A. Dickey, but I think no more Mazzara is as good a bet as anybody. Dude can hit. He's going to be just fine. I agree. So, yeah. Okay, next up, uh, Angel Pagan versus Brandon Finnegan. Okay, switch hitter, getting yeah. that. So, but you you think there's a chance that he bats lefty against lefty against I, him? I doubt it. I have no idea, but either way, I, I doubt would. it. They pretty rarely do that. Yeah, so I you know. might be taking the traditional platoon advantage, uh, right there. Probably just a comfort thing for batters for sure. So either way, pick on his confidence against left-handed bats. I'm sorry, left-handed arms. I'm not really mm-hmm. afraid of Brandon Finnegan. Do you like uh, Hunter Pence also with the platoon advantage? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I think he'll be just fine. He got he was cold and he got moved down the lineup and he's been good since he did that. So, yeah, I I don't know. I have faith in underpants. He's gonna be fine. Except the entire Mets outfield versus Matt Whistler. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not taking Yoenis Cespedes. I mean, he's good. He's talented. He should be definitely okay. But I when I get Whistler, I want lefties for sure. Yeah. And so for me, we it's... have a ton of lefties in their outfield. Right. So I, I want Granderson and I want Conforto. I'm probably not digging Cespedes, but fine. Granderson's fine and Conforto's just on fire. Conforto's been awesome all year, and he has a ton of talent, and he's already living up to it. So, yeah, uh, go with those guys. Those those would be top of my list almost. Yeah. And the other side, like Nick Marcakis versus Bartolo Colon. Nick the Stick. Yep. Uh, it's right you picked him when he had three hits. Yeah. <laughs> three RBIs, too. That's right. Yeah, against Clay yeah. Buckles. Yeah, no, he did fine. There you no, go. He, uh, yeah, if you want him, I'm okay with that. He's actually been, been doing well against Rays this year, and Colon has been trailing against Rays. These two kind of meet up. Yeah, so. Um, except uh, Odubel Herrera versus Adam Wainwright, I actually really like. Yeah, if he's struggling with his control, and Odubel walks all the time, so that could be plenty of getting on base for him. Mm, agreed. Uh, next up, Brewers lefties versus Jared Weaver. Yeah, that's kind of tough. That's a pretty right-handed outfield there. Really? They got a couple lefty options on the bench. On the bench, if they get in. But, are you, I mean, yeah, you're hoping for Ramon Flores or Alex Presley, I suppose. Well, Kirk Neuenweiss. Presley and Neuenweiss are the two that I didn't mind. Yeah. Uh, you're digging deep. I would almost... They're going to not cost anything, so I, I do get that part of it, for sure. They don't cost anything. Nobody else is going to have them, and you're picking on Weaver. I wrote down Ryan Braun. Uh, you have to actually pay for him, though, and other people will have him. But in general, whichever angle you want to take picking on Jared Weaver, I think we endorse that pretty much, right? I like the lefties. Okay. You're going cheap with the lefties. I'm fine with it. It, it, it depends on your outfield and how you're structuring it, but I'm, I'm fine I, I, with I, it. First of all, I guarantee both those guys are probably going to make it in the lineup, and I would... Have no problem having one or both if I needed cheap options. Yeah, um, I wanted to pick against Jimmy Nelson, but this Angels lineup—I don't. <laughs> what do I? You can take Mike Trout, of course. You can pay for Mike Trout. He should be awesome. He's still amazing. He started a little bit cold, and then he just tweaked and is just fine. You can take Cole Calhoun, I guess. I wrote it down. You know, I, he's fine, but like the rest of that lineup. So I'm looking at MLB depth charts. It goes, you know Escobar, Rafael Ortega, who's left-handed, so yeah, go nuts if you want to pick him against Jimmy Nelson. Boy. Trout Pujols, Cole Calhoun, Andleton Simmons, CJ Crone, Carlos Perez, John Giovatella. It's, I, ugh, I don't know. I just don't... If you want to get deep there, deeper than Kirk Newen-Weiss, you can go Rafael Ortega. 
because that's a lefty against Jimmy Nelson. And I think we're fine picking against Jimmy Nelson, but we should that be. Angels lineup, so bad for having such an amazing player in it. Goodness, that's bad. So, yeah. Um, how about uh, back to pick on Jose Barrios? You want Colby Rasmus or your boy Preston Tucker? Yes, I wrote down both names. I was just about to say them before we can. You started talking about the Angels. Yes, sorry, interrupted just so I can interject and steal your picks. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, I'm fine with picking on Barrios. I I think he could end up being good. I think there's a little bit of risk there, but I'm I'm definitely fine with it too. Uh, who else you got on your list? Last name on my list is Josh Reddick versus Nate Cardens. All right, I had that too, and I think he'd be just fine. If you want to pick Reddick, you can also pick uh, switch hitter Billy Burns. Different, very different type of hitter, but could get on and definitely not shy about running. So, um, I have Bryce Harper getting in, Tim Volquez to an advantage for him. He's amazing. Go nuts. Uh, the other two I had that you didn't, because you went down my list pretty similar to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Seth Smith gets Kendall Graveman. Seth Smith is an on-base monster against righties, and he's been showing a little bit of pop recently, too. Had homers on Thursday and Friday, I think. Or Friday and Saturday. Um, he, he's he's fine. He needs to be against righties only, but he has shown that he'll do well there. I have that. And then in the same vein of I want somebody, but I don't know who from a lineup. I want, I guess, some Rockies against James Shields. Uh, Charlie Blackman's back, and he hits at the top of the lineup. So if you just want the leadoff guy, hoping they're going to score some runs, I, that's where I'm going. I don't know if I have enough faith in guys like Cargo specifically to go there, but uh, I believe they can score some runs there. Um, we didn't pick any San Diego guys against John Gray. And John Gray's been really bad at home. But one, he's on the road uh, going to San Diego, a very nice place to pitch. And two, oh my goodness, are the Padres bad against right-handed hitting. Uh, this year, 622 OPS, that is better only than the Braves. And not by much. Uh, so <laughs> I don't love John Gray. I'm not even going to say I trust John Gray. But this is the kind of start where I would take, like, Bartolo. I would take Bartolo in San Diego right now. So as much as I, you know, you can trust him. Uh, John Gray can actually strike people out though. And there's risk there. It's a bit of a question mark, but like, this is the matchup for John Gray. This is, if you're going to trust him anytime, this is it. You would really think so. Yeah. Yeah. You can't draw it up better for him. So I don't know. It's where I'm going, but I, yeah, if you have faith in him, this is it. So here you go. Um, you like Garrett Cole against the Cubs? You love Garrett Cole, but are you worried about the Cubs matchup? Yes, I'm worried about the Cubs. Yeah. I think he could do fine, but if you're going to pay for an ace, that's, that's a tough day. That's mm-hmm. a tough matchup. Um, how about Johnny Cueto going back to Cincinnati against his old team? Should do fine, right? I, yeah. Cincinnati has some hitters. We, we've said they're... Their offense is much better than their defense, but that's not saying a whole lot. And their offense still isn't great. But Johnny Cueto's looked fine in a Giants uniform. You know, he was bad the second half of last year, and he looks fine now. So, uh, yeah, him in Cincinnati, he knows how to pitch there. He'll be fine. Uh, I talked about I'd take Bartolo against the Padres. Uh, he gets the only team worse against right-handed hitters. That's Atlanta. And he gets to pitch at home. And you're not getting many strikeouts out of him, but... If he goes seven, eight innings, one or two runs, you're not going to be shocked at all, right? No, I'm not. Yeah. he, he Not a ton of upside, but he, he could easily get into a win here. Uh, I like Bartolo. Um, we picked some guys against Jose Barrios, but he has strikeout potential, and the Astros can strike out. And he's right-handed, which is what you want against the Astros. So if you are feeling lucky and you want to go with upside for Jose Barrios, I'm fine with that. Um, on the flip side, Dallas Keuchel getting the Twins. Not as good of a matchup as you'd think, because they can hit lefties, but I think Dallas Keuchel has a shutout in him just about every time he goes on the mound. I think he's capable. You know, he hasn't been great, like we hope, but I've, it's not going to shock you if he does awesome too, right? No, I, I actually, I, I kind of like this for Dallas Keuchel, even though I picked the yeah. Twins. Yeah, the, there's some guys to pick there, but overall the lineup is not that great, so... Uh, I still trust Dallas Keuchel. Um, same with Gio Gonzalez getting the Royals. Like, Gio's been awesome, and I went to go look for the Royals against lefties, and it's been not great. The Royals are 22nd in baseball with a 
663 OPS against lefties. Again, their big right-handed bats Lorenzo Cain he hasn't done anything. If you trust Gio, uh, he has problems with walks at times, but the platoon advantage is in his favor. I think uh, this is not the typical stay away against the Royals uh, matchup. I'm fine with him going there. Um, on the flip side, if you believe in Edinson Volquez, it's a fine matchup against the Nationals, I guess. He has to worry about Bryce Harper, but otherwise he'd be okay. Uh, he's been good so far, 3-3-4 three, three, ERA, uh, racking up a fair amount of strikeouts for him. Um, and then, yeah, and then I have John Gray, and then last one is Nate Carnes getting Oakland. Uh, we picked a few guys against him, but it's not a bad place to pitch. He's going to Oakland, and he threw seven shutout innings last time out, so... I, I believe in Nate Kearns. I don't think he's going to go seven innings again. He doesn't do that very often. But if you want five or six solid ones, I think he'd be okay. So, mm-hmm. uh, Matt, who do you have a pitcher that I didn't mention? I think you mentioned just about everybody, Dylan. Did I take your list down? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's only ten games, so it's not a lot of places to go. Um, sorry for for taking all of the pitchers. I think I'll um, Well... In return, I will let you pick a Field of Streams pitcher first, if you'd like to go first in the contest. All right. Think about where you want to go. Well, c- considering where I where I started at after Sunday, didn't go well. I don't, I don't know if you saw what my happened Sunday on Sunday. Thing. I haven't. I need to update the list. What happened on Sunday? <laughs> you sound too excited, dude. I um, the way you're reacting to it. Yeah. I went with Tom Kohler against the uh, Brewers. Oh boy, that that line. Tom Kohler, eight runs in two and a third. It's a tough Tom Kohler day. I uh, guess you... you that's, I, I see, even... I didn't like Adam Conley on Friday. Let's give you some credit. I didn't like Adam Conley lefty against the Brewers lineup. And, you know, took a no-hitter into the eighth before they yes. took him out, which is yes. brutal. Brutal. We should have talked about that already. That was brutal. Uh, well, the reason... Uh, Dylan, I was afraid you were going to bring up Tom Kohler, so I kept my mouth shut and Adam Conley. No, I hadn't looked at box scores for Sundays, really. Uh, no, you should gloat about uh, Adam Conley. And you, in the folklore of the show, two years ago, in the first season, you, in our streaming contest, picked a no-hitter. We have a no-hitter in this show. Uh, yeah. You had Josh Beckett against Philadelphia for his no-hitter. And then I was like really underwhelmed because he walked like four guys. It, it, you picked a no-hitter in the show. You did the equivalent of throwing a no-hitter in the show. That's uh, hard to do, especially given the parameters of guys we pick. Matt had one. It was pretty awesome in our first year. It was. Yeah. Uh, it's the only one we've had. We're in our third season. And uh, you looked like you were on track to get a second one, and the Marlins were like, no, well, take him out. He was like up front like 120 pitches, so it was time to Yeah, yeah. I get it. And they're pretending they're contending. So it's, and he's a promising guy so anyway i liked the Kohler matchup more but it's baseball so it's like eight hits eight runs two walks no strikeouts couldn't have gone worse 78 78 pitches to record seven outs that's ridiculous yeah chris carter two home runs my boy my boy chris carter yeah um yeah, I'll I'll round these up uh, for tomorrow's show. I have not calculated our our monthly totals. We can do monthly reviews, but I forgot it's May and I forgot, so uh, we'll do that. But contest going well so far. Um, yeah. So who do you think you have for Monday? We have some options. My list is Bartolo against Atlanta, Carnes against Oakland, Kendall Graveman against Seattle, uh, Hellickson against St. Louis, or John Gray going to San Diego. Well, what are you thinking? I'm thinking John Gray. I'm thinking John Gray too. I think I think it's I think Bartolo's the safe pick, Gray is the upside pick, and for me Nate Carnes is the middle pick. Um Yeah. Uh I think I want John Gray too. Again, I think if we're gonna take John Gray, this is the day. But if you're streaming, go Bartolo's a fine streamer. Go go nuts. I don't know if he's a great DFS pick because there's not enough strikeouts, but he's a fine streamer. Go nuts there. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to take John Gray in San Diego because I think he's talented, and I think the Padres can't hit righties. They can kind of hit lefties, but they can't hit righties. So, uh, so yeah, I'm in. Uh, Matt, you got anything else uh, for Monday? No, I think we we wrapped up pretty well. Um, looking forward to that interview with Ben Lindbergh that we're about to do. Yeah, we're going to do a little seamless transition here in a second. I don't have any bumper music or anything to put in the middle, so we're just going to... 
Yeah, no, I, uh, we're lacking in production value here, but uh, <laughs> apparently. But yeah, stay tuned here in a second. We're going to uh, jump to talking to Ben about his book called uh, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work uh, that he wrote with Sam Miller, which uh, I think is really cool. So yeah, coming up after this is the interview, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Field of Streams podcast. We are joined by our guest, Ben Lindbergh of 538 and uh, formerly Baseball Prospectus. Ben, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. How are yeah. you guys? We're good. We're good. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm personally a big, big fan of your podcast, Effectively Wild. It is uh, admittedly a bit of an inspiration to start my own podcast, but uh, I wanted to have you on to talk about your book that you have coming out this week, which I know has been a big deal for you for about the last year. Um, can you tell us about this book that's that's coming out? Yeah, so the book comes out tomorrow, maybe today by the time some of you hear this. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, Our Wild Experiment Building a New Kind of Baseball Team. And Sam Miller, who is the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus and also my co-host on Effectively Wild, he and I took over the baseball operations department of an independent league team last summer in Sonoma, California, the Sonoma Stompers, and they play in the Pacific Association, which is a lower level independent league, but still professional players. And the idea, at least going in, was that we would sort of put our beliefs to the test. You know, we're both sort of sabermetric-oriented writers, and we process the game that way. And, you know, we've played fantasy baseball for years, and the idea was that we would see whether the things that we believed about baseball would work in practice with a real team and real players. Sure. I feel like that's a lot of people's dream is, you know, fantasy baseball, you get to create your own team. And this is that times yeah. about a million uh, <laughs> actually being given the keys to a team. Um, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Uh, is it interacting with people and players probably would be my guess? Yeah. And we, we knew that would be a big deal. We knew that would be a a significant obstacle to overcome we probably still underestimated how Mm -hmm. difficult it was i mean sam and i and and you guys i mean we're all used to having just an incredible treasure trove of data at our disposal we can look up you know the exit velocity on every batted ball and the speed of every pitch and the spin and it's just this incredible wealth of information and we in the pacific association essentially had to collect our own data before we could even begin to analyze it. So that was one obstacle. You know, the the information that we have taken for granted for years just wasn't there until we generated it. So that was the first hurdle. But then once we had that information, we had to figure out how to convey it, how to communicate it to players, to coaches, to our manager. And that was that was difficult. That was tough because not everyone was on the same page. No one was aware of our work or, you know, the the sort of sabermetric principles that a lot of us subscribe to and that we just kind of take for granted. No one was aware of these things. And, uh, you know, these are professional athletes that are not the the sort of people that we typically hang out with every day. And we were in the clubhouse and in the dugout and kind of, you know, breaking this barrier that has traditionally separated stat heads from the actual players. And so, you know, there was a, a lot of diplomacy involved. Ben, how, how difficult was the buy? It was getting players and coaches to buy into to what you were preaching. It varied. I, I think, you know, our philosophy coming in was that we didn't want to push too hard. We didn't do anything crazy on opening day. We kind of wanted to ease the team into it because we figured if we came on too strong, we would turn everyone against us and, you know, they would hate us and they would give us wedgies or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we we tried to start slow and, you know, I, I think they were kind of interested in, in what we were, sort of what our purpose was, the way that you would be with some sort of alien life form that you had just discovered. You know, what are these guys doing here? What are they going to do with us? Uh, and I think, you know, it, it really helped once we started gathering information on these guys when we essentially set up an advanced scouting network and we had people at all of the games in this league and we were filming all the players and charting all the games and recording all this information that, you know, is is standard at the major league level, but none of these guys really had ever had access to that sort of stuff. And so when we could show them there at bats and we could show them video of the opposing starter that day or we could tell them, you know, he throws this percentage of this 
type of pitch and he throws it this hard and he tends to throw it to this location and and all of that kind of information that granted not every player wants but a lot of players did I think and even just as a curiosity as as something that they hadn't encountered before in their own careers I think they were at least willing to give us the floor and and see what we had to say so did you two guys, or at least the team, have this reputation? Like, was it well-known of this thing going on in the league? Or um, did the players kind of get accustomed to it? Or I guess logistically, did they all know you? Like, did you guys handpick every player on the roster so they kind of got introduced to what you were doing in the first place? Or, you know, you said you introduced it slowly, but how blunt was it for a lot of these guys? Yeah, a lot of the players were there because of us, because Sam and I signed them. And so that really helped. You know, there was mm-hmm. sort of a a split probably in the receptiveness to us between players who had been there the year before and we we brought back some players who had already succeeded in that league there was no mm-hmm. reason not to do that so we did bring back some players and and so for them we were new whereas for the new guys we were a fixture you know as as far as they knew we had always been with this team whereas players who had been there the year before knew that we were not that we were the rookies essentially mm-hmm. um and so you know, it was really difficult to sign players, I think, harder than we had anticipated. And, and the way we ended up doing it without giving away too much is that, you know, we, we tried to mine college statistics and adjust them as best we could and, and look for guys who were passed over in the major league draft, but who we thought could succeed at this level based on their college performance. And it was, it was tough because you know, when you're playing fantasy, I mean, even if you are in some kind of crazy keeper league with teenage, you know, amateur players, there's generally some sort of list that you are consulting, mm-hmm. you know, there's a waiver wire, like you, there's a ranked list, even if it's thousands of players, you are kind of starting with a, a limited sample with a, a set of players. And we were not, you know, we were, we, there was kind of a moment when we realized, okay, we're actually doing this. And where do we even start? How do we know where to find players? There are 7 billion people in the world. How do sure. we pick 22? Um, and so, sure. you know, yeah, um, eventually we, we did. We we picked a bunch of players. And so I think there was a difference, you know, because even if those players didn't necessarily know all of the statistics that had gone into their signing, they were definitely more open to what we had to say just because they were there because of, you know, whatever weird statistics we were doing had gotten them a job and an opportunity. So obviously if your job depends on the crazy stat heads, then uh, you are inclined to be, you know, more more receptive to what the crazy stat heads have to say. Ben, w- without giving too much away from the book, w- what was your one biggest regret as, as running a baseball team? Is there anything you wish you could have done over? Uh, I think, you know, I, <laughs> there's a lot of failure in the book and uh, and a lot of success, I think, also. But we, we made a lot of mistakes. We would do it differently if we could do it over. Uh, I don't know what qualifies as a spoiler, but certainly we... You know, I think we didn't sell ourselves that well at first. We kind of, uh, you know, maybe took it for granted that uh, that our information would be considered useful. And we, as the season went on, we sort of learned how to tell a story to the players and sort of, you know, get them excited about whatever it was that we wanted to do and, and make it a narrative as opposed to, you know, percentages or uh, not that we were actually showing the spreadsheets or anything at any at any point, but we... We sort of figured out how to, I don't want to say dumb it down, but just, you know, make it more digestible. Like our, our scouting reports that we would write and put in the dugout, at the beginning of the season, we had a whiteboard just, you know, chock full of information. Just every inch of it was full of text and numbers and, you know, things we had noticed about pitchers. And at some point, you know, one of our hitters just told us, you know, this is information overload if you can distill all of that information you have into a, a more easily communicated form, sure. then guys will will be more open to it. And so I think we were at that point, you know, making use of the same information, but just figuring out how to convey it. And you know, it was that, and it also I think we were probably too tentative at times, just because we were so out of our depth at first that you know we were 
treading in this forbidden territory and we didn't want to to anger anyone we didn't want to ruffle any feathers but i think in retrospect we might have been more successful if we had been more assertive and essentially acted like we had been there before and acted mm-hmm. like we belonged even though we didn't and we hadn't um if we had pretended that we had i think people would have just sort of taken that at face value and uh you know, maybe we wouldn't have had to to prove ourselves to the extent that we did. So I, I think, you know, what we learned was definitely more about interpersonal relationships and, and management uh, than than statistics, although there's certainly some of that, too. Sure. Um, I'm sure it's a long story, but what's the short version of how this happened? Like they approach you or how do you get in charge of, a, of an independent team for a summer? <laughs> Yeah, well, the origins of the idea go back a few years, and it comes from the podcast, actually, from an interview that Sam and I were doing with Dan Evans, the former GM of the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And at the time, he was trying to revive a defunct independent league called the Northern League, and he was going to be the commissioner of that league, and he was looking for teams. And Sam and I almost jokingly said during that interview, you know, if if you need someone to take a team, we're, we're here. And uh, he didn't dismiss the idea the way that we thought he would. We thought it was crazy, but he sort of took it seriously. And after the interview was over, we we said, wait, really? Are you, are you kidding? And, you know, it would have taken a lot of money to, to come up with that. And sure. as it turned out, that league never actually got off the ground. But Sam and I were so excited by that idea that we really wanted to do it somewhere at some point. And the idea was just sort of on the back burner for a year or two. And then another podcast episode, uh, hundreds of episodes later, it came up, I think, from a listener email that neither Sam nor I had ever actually been to an independent league game. And so we said that on on the podcast. And then we got an email from Tim Livingston, who is the, the media relations person and the broadcaster for the Stompers. And he invited Sam out to a game and Sam went out there and you know, got along with Tim and got along with the GM, who is named Theo Fightmaster, which is the best name in the book. Sure. And uh, I honestly and, thought that was made up when I first read it. Yeah, it's totally real. <laughs> and, like a pseudonym you gave to somebody. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, you know, it just seemed like a, a nice place to spend the summer, for one thing. Sonoma, California, we were not exactly roughing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these people were sort of phil- philosophically aligned with us. They knew us from the podcast and they sort of trusted us and just, you know, it made sense for them from a publicity perspective as well. And uh, at that level, wins and losses don't matter as much to the team's bottom line. And so there wasn't as much of a risk for them if we had come in and completely screwed things up. Uh, it, it might not have mattered all that much. And so they were willing to do it. And, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, a lot of other options. So we were happy to take them up on it. That's great. I feel like in the last decade and change, a lot of baseball writers have watched fellow baseball writers and statisticians and whatnot get gobbled up by uh, major league teams, most infamously the Astros. And it's kind of gives you uh, a rooting interest where you want them to do well. And that's really exciting that those are becoming more homogenous. And so this is a different angle. you're the editor of the website that they all work for (laughs) and you have to figure out how to replace them. (laughs) Bittersweet. Yes. It's like, oh, great. They're going to do great things, but now we don't get to read their stuff anymore. Or yes, you have to uh, replace them. Um, I feel like this is a different angle, but the same kind of thing where, especially your listeners, but a lot of people like, you know, go, oh, wait, they let them actually run a team. That's really (laughs) exciting to see, you know, what, it, trying to avoid the concept of the binary, you know, scouts versus stats, which is definitely more blurred than people give credit. But you guys aren't quote unquote baseball guys. You didn't grow, right. you didn't play, you know, and so being able to be in charge of it in that way is really exciting and, and fun seeing it from that angle. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's one of the really cool things uh, about the book yeah. for me. And we tried to compensate for our, our lack of, you know, baseball backgrounds because everyone in the game, even if it's at that level, they've, they've played or they've coached or they've managed for decades and and they just have this network of contacts so mm-hmm. you know they know this guy they played with 5 years ago and he's looking for a job and so we can get him on the on the team that kind of thing and Sam and I had no network and mm-hmm. so our network was you know podcasters and writers and sabermetricians on the internet and so we sort of enlisted our our friends and our our contacts in that arena to try to compensate for our 
deficiencies in other areas. So, you know, instead of signing a player that we knew from personal experience, we would sign a player based on stats in a spreadsheet that was generated by some super smart statistics person that we mm-hmm. knew. So that was kind of our, our way of making up for our weakness in that area. And how did this experience change uh, how you look at major league teams and how they apply, you know, sabermetric values and whatnot? You know, it's easy for a lot of us to be like, oh, they should this or they should that or why don't they this? But now that you've actually lived it a little bit, do you now look at uh, how things go in the major leagues a little bit differently? It definitely increased my appreciation for just how much work goes into even the smallest little things. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we always plan to set up an advanced scouting network and to tape all the games and to edit those clips and show them to the players. And that just, you know, we took it for granted that we could just sort of snap our fingers and do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not easy. It took a lot of hours and a lot of labor to get to the point where we were able to set up that system. So, A, it just, you know, it it really increased my respect for uh, what all of these teams do to put their products on the field. But I think it also increased my appreciation just for how important that link between the front office and the field staff is Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we had some friction and some some conflict there, and that was good for the book probably, good from a storytelling perspective to have some kind of conflict, but, um, you know, from implementing our plans perspective, it was was counterproductive. So it really, uh, you know, it it gave us a, a firsthand understanding of how, you know, if your front office is not philosophically aligned with your manager and if there's any pushback there, then whatever ideas you're able to generate just will not translate to the field. And so they will just kind of stay in this self-contained office far away from the field and they won't be able to help you. So it really is important to have those those two sides talking to each other. Mm-hmm. How did the Jose Canseco thing happen? <laughs> uh, Sam and I actually had nothing to do with it. That was uh, Jose Canseco came in for a weekend just as purely a, a promotional publicity stunt that the Stompers would have pursued whether we had been there or not. He was actually impressive as a player, more so than we had thought. He uh, he hit a home run in a game against a 90 mile per hour pitcher who was you know, probably one of the best pitchers in the league, and he was 50 years old at the time. So uh, it was impressive to see that his skills were still somewhat intact, uh, but that was not part of our plan, although it, you know, added a little color to the story. Okay, no, I was was kind of hoping you'd bring back like a 50-year-old DH to see if he could play at all. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure whether we could have justified that from a sabermetric perspective, but from a ticket sales perspective, it, it made a lot of sense. No doubt. Matt, you got anything else? No, I, that, that was that was my one burning question. The Jose can say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was curious. Is on, on their website they're still selling the the, the Jose Canseco big foam hands with the missing yep. finger. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 I think they probably ordered too many of those. <laughs> they are still selling them. <laughs> as popular as they thought it would be. Right. <laughs> uh, ben, is there anything else you want to make sure people know about this book that you haven't got to talk about, or at least? not in this interview that, that you think people should know if they're thinking about checking it out? Uh, just in general, I, I mean, you know, I, I guess I don't have to say this necessarily for this audience, but, you know, I think there's something in there for everyone. I, I hope we sort of set out to write a book for baseball fans and stat heads, and I, I think it, it is that kind of book, but it also turned out to be, I hope, much more accessible to really anyone, regardless of of how hardcore they are about baseball. There's a lot about the players and the people and the stories of our interactions, and I hope it's a a funny book as well. You know, there are a lot of funny anecdotes just being in the dugout every day with a team. So uh, I hope that it combines stats and sabermetrics with a sense of humor and just you know, good enough writing that that anyone would enjoy it. It's it's not too dry, not too textbooky. I hope. And uh, if you want to find out more about it, you can go to the book's website, which is the title of the book dot com. The only rule is it has to work dot com. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff on there. If you want to see photos or video or stats from the season, there's a ton of uh, supplementary information on there as well. But that will tell you where to get it and and when. That's awesome. I'm personally waiting for mine. I pre-ordered and it should be here, you know, this week. If you're listening, it comes out this week. You can order it. It'll be coming out. Um, 
Ben also writes at 538 and does the podcast Effectively Wild over at uh, Baseball Prospectus with Sam, which, you know, I personally recommend. Um, ben, anything else you want to promote or, or bring up while you're here? Nope, that's about it. It's book release week, so I can yeah. probably just focus on, on sure. that for now. <laughs> Plenty of that going on. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, I want to say thanks again for coming on. I know it didn't quite fit DFS focus like we do here, but if you like baseball, I think you're going to like this book, and I, I'm excited about it, and I think it's good to have you here and have you on. Uh, I hope that's... so, thanks. There yeah. were a, a lot of daily roster decisions that we had to make, so oh, it's I, I don't not quite the same, it. but... Yeah. yeah. Well, and if people like daily podcasts, which they must if they're listening to this, you know, again, I, I think yours fits the bill and it's definitely baseball, you know, in the baseball umbrella. So, yeah. yeah. Adding and dropping players is far more painful when you have to tell them. Oh, I bet. Face to face in person. I bet. Actually, so. Did you ever have like a Jonah Hill moment where you actually had to like sit down with somebody and, and tell them that he couldn't play for you anymore? Yes, we did. And uh, it was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, and it, it becomes a real disincentive, like when you want to make a move, knowing that you have to tell the person to his face mm-hmm. and sort of crush his dreams. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of like as a cold hearted analyst, you have to try to separate that from, you know, what's best for the team and what's best for you and your hopes to avoid a really awkward interaction. But right. uh, we, we definitely had to experience that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited about reading about that and all that. It's going to be pretty cool. So, yeah, book comes out this week. Um, that'll do it for us today. Matt and I will be back tomorrow right here uh, every day. Thanks again to Ben for joining us. And, uh, yeah, that should do it for us. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Enjoy your baseball. Thank you for listening to the Field of Streams podcast. For more fantasy baseball analysis, visit Fangraphs.com slash fantasy or follow us on Twitter at Rotographs.